Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Well done. All right, let's get started. Um, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's a pleasure of mine to be on staff here at the church. And we're going to continue our study in the book of Luke. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, uh, spending our, the portion of our time together in Luke 5, sorry, verses 33 through 39, 33 through 39. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's probably one underneath the hardback seat. There's a hardback Bible underneath the seat around you that you can use if you look for that. Um, we will put the words on the screens and you can follow along there. So that'll be fine as well. Um, but as we get started, let me just catch everyone up to where we were last week. So last week we saw Jesus. He had... Um, invited a, a tax collector named Levi to become one of his disciples, to become one of his followers. There's a big moment for Levi, for sure. Um, and after that, we saw that Levi threw a great feast for Jesus. He was sort of the man of the hour, and, and Levi invited Jesus to be at his house for this feast, and he invited a lot of his friends who were fellow tax collectors and sinners, etc., to be a, a part of this feast. Um, and I, I bring that up for this one distinction. Um, in my studies this week, I learned this, that commentators make notice that of all the biographies of Jesus, and by biographies I mean the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of all four of them, Luke makes reference to eating and drinking more than anyone else. Say amen. Right? He, he mentions it some, I think, 60 times. If you just take your Bible of Luke and just highlight or circle every time Luke mentions eating or drinking or feasting or something, you'll see it mentioned about 60 times. And if you divide that into the number of chapters in the book of Luke, it, it averages out to be about two and a half times per chapter Luke is talking about eating and drinking and, and celebrating. And eating and drinking, as we know, is not just a physical necessity for us, but it's an important fabric, fabric, a part of the fabric of our lives, part of our society, part of our culture. Even to this day, we sit together with someone at a table, and this implies some type of relationship. So I, before I was a pastor, I worked in sales and I used to take customers out to lunch and I was trying to foster that relationship. And it's funny how many people you can get to go to lunch if you tell them you're buying their lunch, <laughs> right? And so I would get people to come join me for lunch and the idea was hope, hoping that I would become a deeper acquaintances with them, maybe form a friendship, deeper relationship and hopefully do more business with them. And, and you might be sitting down at lunch with a friend or family member, but it all implies this sort of relationship. It could be friendship, business, or just getting to know each other a little bit better. And sitting at the table is, with one another is also a, a great way to create and to develop these relationships, as we mentioned. And this is, this is true in every society throughout the age, right? In fact, check this out. I learned this too. Our, our, our word companion comes from the Latin roots, which means common and bread, it just means common and bread. And so when we're sitting down with someone with whom we break bread with, we call them a companion, which I found pretty fascinating. 
So Jesus is having this feast at Levi's house, and he's questioning. This is what we're going to get into in the passage today. He's questioned as to why they're, they're feasting instead of fasting. And we'll talk about the distinctions between the two, between feasting and celebrating and fasting. And, and uh, fasting, I don't know if you know this, is, is kind of made a comeback. How many people do intermittent fasts? You know, right? Where you only give yourself a certain amount of time during the day to eat, which is a real challenge just for, so you know. <laughs> you know, I, I know people who can only eat between the hours of like 12 or 11 and 6. And, and the idea behind some of this is there's some health benefits behind it. Not that you care, but I'll share it. I've looked it up. I'll tell you what it means. Um, but I learned this, that, that your body uses a lot of resources when it is digesting food. And so if we just continually eat, then our body's going to spend the calories and all the energy to just digest, right? Where if you take a break from eating, fasting is what that means, it gives your body an opportunity to do other things. Like, I don't know, heal the cells, make your brain better. Who wants a better brain? Anyone? Right? Well, stop eating 24 hours a day. I'm just saying. That's what we need to do. So, inter, so intermittent fasting is, is popular. There's, there's fasting sometimes before you have a procedure at the, the doctor's office. Everybody who's over 50 understand, all the men over 50 understand what that means. We fast before we go to have procedures done, before surgeries. Uh, you heard of protests where people will fast. They call it a hunger strike when they fast. But all of these types of fasts that um, I'm describing, they're not spiritual fasts. And I want to make a distinction between fasting for health, fa fasting for other reasons, and then fasting for a spiritual purpose. Give us a good biblical definition here of what a fast is. It would just mean this, to deprive oneself of nourishment for a set period of time with this goal, to focus like on prayer, to focus on the Lord. Maybe you're seeking wisdom, you're seeking a, a particular direction in your life. We oftentimes see prayer and fasting put together. Um, and this idea of fasting versus feasting is the point of contention that some of the religious leaders take with Jesus in the passage. So let me read uh, Luke 5, starting in verse 33. And it says, and they said to him, and I'll talk about who they are in a moment, but these people come to Jesus and they say these words, the disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, they eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, well, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come, or the time will come, Jesus says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then Jesus also told them a parable, saying this, No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And he said this, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But he says, New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Sort of an interesting close on the parable there, Jesus. So let's pray together and see if we can have some understanding here. Lord, thank you for our time again. Thank you for everything that you're doing. God, would you help us to understand what this would mean? Would you help us to see through the, the parable and, and, and apply something to our lives that would make a difference for us? I've prayed already this morning, Lord, but would you hear my prayer again, that your Holy Spirit would move through our room, 
that the Holy Spirit would open our minds, open our eyes and our ears, that we would receive everything you have for us. We thank you for the work that you're doing. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, back to verse 33, it says, and they said to him, these, they is, there's a group of people. In fact, Matthew's gospel, his biography about this exact same event, he tells us that it was actually some of John the, Pap the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees. So John's disciples and the Pharisees have sort of united together to go and criticize Jesus. And they come and they ask Jesus this question. Why do, why do we fast, right, the disciples of John, and why do the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but you eat and drink? I find this fascinating that you would think that the Pharisees, the religious, the, 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 um, the, the pious ones, you know what I mean, the ones that wanted to say so separated from everyone else, I find it interesting that they would connect together with John's disciples to sort of unify together to preach against Jesus. Have you ever seen Jesus bring two like separate groups together, like in some common unified like direction that you would never see put together before? Let me give you an example of what I was thinking about yesterday. Um, I was thinking about uh, recently, we've had a lot of talk about in the church of spiritual abuse. Have you heard of uh, these, you know, news um, uh, stories coming out of, of pastors abusing their congregants, not like like physically, but just being a, a jerk, if you know what I'm talking about. Just nod at me and I'll move on. You guys read the stories of spiritual abuse? No? Oh my gosh, open your eyes. There's spiritual abuse happening everywhere, right? It's just happening. Pastors blow it all the time. Not this one, just for the record, but... Anyways, but they, they, they find out, okay, so the church, and honestly, the church didn't handle some of these things right. Rather than, than admit them and say the pastor had a bad day or who knows, remove him from, from leadership, fire him. I don't know. The elders need to take charge of this situation. But rather than do that, oftentimes the churches would bury it. They would hide it. And we see this sometimes with the sexual abuse that happens in the church as well. So you take this spiritual abuse, the abuse that's happening in the church, and, and you see people like conservative Christians, like people who are, agree that the church should be a safe place, that you should go to the church and have uh, safe leaders over you, right? They're, they're frustrated that the churches are hiding this stuff. And then you've got the group for, like, from the LGBT community also agreeing that the church should be, like, open up their books and show everybody what's happening. So we've got this LGBT group, and then we've got these conservative Christians united together, pushing against the brokenness in the church. This is my example. So we see these two groups of people coming together that have really nothing together in interest except for their, their, their uh, frustration with Jesus and the way he's doing things. Why are you doing that? Nobody else does that, Jesus. Why don't you fast when we fast? Why don't you do these things? So that's the ask, and you can see the frustration there. Michael Card is a musician and an author, and he wrote an incredible, an incredible commentary series on the four Gospels called the Biblical Imagination Series. Michael Card says this, he says, I want you to put yourself in the place of the Pharisees and for a moment, try to use it or to see it from their point of view. So just imagine this thought experiment. What if a new religious group came to town, to our town, right? And we see them gathering, they build a church or something and they're gathering people together, but we hardly ever see them practice prayer. We hardly ever see them practice worship or anything. Wouldn't you, like the Pharisees, question what they're doing? Yes, the answer is yes to that. And so honestly, even myself, and, and I have a, a prayer life that I think is somewhat robust, but could be stronger, amen, anyone, right? I would even agree that the church should be about praying. And so the Pharisees and John's disciples think that what Jesus is doing is somewhat incorrect. And so Jesus just has to correct them. And so he starts to talk about fasting. And let's learn this about Jesus, from Jesus. Number one, Jesus does not think fasting is wrong. 
He doesn't, he doesn't think you shouldn't fast. In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel, we read where Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted while he was being tempted by the devil. You guys remember this story? He's not opposed to fasting. He's just opposed to the, what the, the Pharisees are trying to earn from fasting. Look at this passage in Matthew chapter six. Jesus tells his disciples, um, uh, about fasting. He says, now when you guys fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is saying, when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites, like who? The Pharisees. When it says they disfigure their faces, it just means this, they would take ash and throw it upon their faces. So they would look, look, they would look like they're mourning. That was an old Jewish custom of, of showing mourning and lament. They'd throw ash on their head. And not only would they fast and lament, but then they would stand in public places so everyone could see how pious they were. And how wonderful they were because they're fasting, because they want something from God. And so Jesus is pushing back on that. He's really questioning why people fast. In the Old Testament, if you know your Hebrew scriptures, you know this, that God commands a fast, uno, singular fast in the Old Testament. It was on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and, and the people would fast. But if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that people also fasted, even though they weren't commanded by God, but they would fast. They would oftentimes fast when they were seeking God's direction. When, when uh, Israel's enemies were coming up against them, a, a great big decision has to be made. They need God's protection. They would fast and they would pray together. We see that. We see them fasting in lament and in mourning. And so what Jesus is saying, if they're trying to fast to, to be close to God, to hear God's voice, and if you're trying to fast because you're, you're mourning and you want something more in your life, he says, why would they fast if they have me in front of them? And this is his pushback to the disciples. He says, why would you ask the, the, the disciples or the friends of the bridegroom to fast while the bridegroom is with him? This speaks about a wedding feast. This speaks about a huge celebration. Jesus uses the name bridegroom about himself. J.C. Ryle says this, that the name bridegroom, like every other name applied to Jesus in the Bible, is full of instruction for us. So hear, hear this. It's not like somebody else is calling Jesus the bridegroom. He takes the name, the groom or the bridegroom, and he applies it to himself. And, and we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus trying to teach us from that? Think of all the relationships that we might have with Jesus. Think of the way that the, the word bridegroom teaches us about the deep and tender love with which Jesus regards all of us. The name bridegroom teaches this, this close and intimate union with him, which exists between Jesus and all of his followers. It's something so much more closer and so much more intimate than the union of a king and his subjects. And Jesus is a king, amen? Let me try that again. Yeah, Jesus is a king. And we can call him king, and I think we should call him king. And when you think king and his subjects, that speaks to a relationship that we have, but it doesn't seem as close between a bridegroom and a, a groom and a, a bride, does it? And Jesus is, is king, right? And he's a master. And we can think about the master and servant relationship. We could see, we could see the teacher or the rabbi and, and scholar or disciple relationship or the shepherd and sheep. There's all kinds of names that Jesus takes on throughout the scriptures. 
But this one, the bridegroom, is the closest of all unions, the union between a husband and a wife. And Jesus describes himself as the bridegroom. And he, he describes himself as someone who is intimately involved in your life, who's someone who deeply cares about your inner thoughts, deeply cares about your motivations, deeply cares. There are things, ladies and gentlemen, that you will share with your spouse that you will not share with your coworkers. There are things that you'll share with your spouse that you will not share with your therapist. There are just some, there's just a level of intimacy that you have should you be blessed with a spouse that you can experience in any other relationship on this planet. Jesus, he commandeers that relationship and says, this is me and this is you. This is the two of us together. And then he makes that case. Why, why on earth would my disciples fast? Why would they mourn and lament? Why would they seek more of me when I'm standing in front of them? And you're questioning, your motive is, 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 is showing, is what he's saying. Because I'm here in front of you, and you're still arguing whether or not they fast twice a week or not. Why don't you fast? He says, while the bridegroom is with them, that they shouldn't, that they should be celebrating, that they should be feasting. But he says there will come a day when Jesus is taken away. He says there comes a time or a day when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they can fast again. Jesus is pointing to the day that he'll be arrested. He's pointing to the day that he'll be pulled away. And I think he's ultimately pulling to the day when he's actually going to ascend back into heaven. So if you know the story of Jesus, he's crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Happy Easter, everyone, right? And then he's with his disciples for some 40 days or so, and then he ascends back to heaven. And after he ascends back to heaven, if you follow the history of the early church, you actually see that the, the early church, the couple, first couple centuries of the church, you see a lot of writings on fasting and prayer. That fasting makes its way back into the church because the, the bridegroom has left again. And Jesus is just talking about the new way, the newness that has come in him. And that the new has come with him and the new is coming with him. So the purpose of prayer and fasting is to better, if it's to better experience the presence of God, then in one sense they become irrelevant. Wouldn't you agree while Jesus is there? Yeah. But when he's away, we fast and pray. Anyway, so while the bridegroom is taken away, we, we see this once again. Fasting takes on a new purpose once again. Yes, and following Jesus often calls you. This is what I love about this is that um, even though the, the critics are standing before Jesus and his disciples, it reminds me that oftentimes we are called to live a life um, that people will criticize. Like when you follow Jesus, sometimes it, it, people will question some of the things that you do. Has anyone ever been questioned for the things that they do? Well, maybe. I'll throw one out there. When I first became a Christian and I was working, um, you know, I worked at a warehouse or whatever, I remember bringing my Bible with me to lunch sometimes, and people thought that was so strange. You ever take your Bible somewhere that's not supposed to go, like the taco place? <laughs> They're not like, why are you bringing a Bible? We don't read the Bible here. Well, I do. And so you're, like, I was just doing things, trying to follow the Lord, trying to make my way as a new Christian, and I was doing things that, that, that people questioned. I don't know how to help you with some of this stuff, but I'm, I'm just telling you, you, you have an intimate relationship with the Lord like that. 
when he speaks to you like a groom speaks to a bride or whatever, like he'll ask you to do things that just, that befuddles like the people around you. They don't understand why you would give so lavishly, right? Of your time, of your finances or your resources, why you would travel across the world to do missions trips. Who cares about building stoves in little bitty huts in a third world country in the name of Jesus Christ? Why would you do that when you could spend six grand, the same money and go to Key West? Why, why would you, well, you could go to Cancun for a whole lot less than that. All inclusive, say it with me now, all inclusive. Right? Is anyone tracking with me here? And Jesus is just explaining that there's, there's a, another way to live. There's another way. It's, it's, he would call it a new way. If you know anything about the scripture, the arc of the story of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it is a restorative story that God created everything in the beginning and it broke when sin entered into the world. And he sends Jesus the fixer and he fixes it and it's becoming restored. And, and, and at some point, the things that were in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the things that we used to do are no longer necessary nor needed because a new way has come in Jesus. Anyone? And that's what Jesus is leading his people into. And the, the current religious establishment, they can't understand it. We've always done it this way, they would say. My granddad did it this way. And so they hold on to traditions and these traditions of men become sort of fossilized and hardened. And they somehow think that those traditions are more right than actually following the words of Christ. Is, is this resonating with anyone? Okay. And so Jesus, to explain, to describe this newness that is taking place, he teaches a parable. And we'll, we'll rush through this real quick. But in verse 36, he says he teaches them a parable. He says, no one's going to take a, a, a tear a piece of cloth or a piece from a new garment and put it onto an old garment. And if he does, he's going to do what? He's going to tear the new one. He's going to destroy the new garment that you just stole a piece of cloth from. They're going to sew it to patch the old garment. And then when you wash that garment, that new cloth is going to shrink and pull away from the old garment. It's going to make the whole worse. In a sense, what Jesus is saying that if you try to put the two things together, the old and the new together, is you will end up destroying both, he says. You'll end up destroying both. The old was good for a while. The old was good for its, and it served its purpose. I think Paul uses language like this when he talks about the law. If you know anything about Paul's, the apostle Paul's writing, he says that the law that God gave us in the Old Testament was good. It was a tutor for us. It led us to a place, but it can't take us everywhere. We go so far. It's like taking the, the number one train. You have to get off and get onto another one. And Jesus is the other one. And he's leading his people into something new. And he gives uh, verse 37, another example. He talks about wine. Say amen, someone. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. I don't know if I want to drink wine out of the carcass of an animal. I'm just throwing it out there. That's kind of what wineskins were. They would just take the, the body, take the insides of an animal out, tie up the feet where you cut off the feet and the neck, and they'd pour wine. Anyways, they'd pour wine into it. <laughs> it was nuts. 
And when these, these skins are new, these like leather, they're pliable, and you put you know, for, like grape juice inside of it, and as grape juice begins to ferment with the yeast and the sugars, and it begins to expand, the new wine skin can handle it, it can expand. But if you put that new wine or that grape juice inside to an old skin that's already expanded, when it starts to expand, it'll blow the seams out. It'll burst the old wine skin. And what Jesus is saying is you will destroy the wineskin, the old one, and you will waste the wine. These two things, the old and the new, are incompatible with one another. Are you picking up what Jesus is putting down? And so there's, there's some way that Jesus is leading his disciples that throws an affront or a rub against the other religious people of the day. And Jesus wants to take his people into a place of newness. So when we look at verses, you know, 33 or 36 through 39, we see this give and take of Jesus having this discussion. He's eating again at Levi's house when he's questioned about this. He has this sort of discourse with them. He, he pronounces this sort of parabolic commentary about cloth and wine and skins and all kinds of really weird stuff. But all he's transparently trying to do is just let us see that two things can't go together. In the church, we call a lot of this syncretism. That's a fancy word, isn't it? It's a $5 word, we say, syncretism. It just means this. It just means Jesus plus something. And a lot of times, religious people, and any, do you guys, anybody know any religious people? They're the best. You should get to know some religious people. Um, what, what happens sometimes is, even though we don't call like people Pharisees today, but the Pharisaical spirit still lives in people, and they, they, they're very demanding on how you live your life. And oftentimes, religious people can be like that. How many people grew up in a church where you couldn't wear a hat in a sanctuary if you went to church? And if you did, like the elders would come pound on you for a little bit, right? I mean, there are all kinds of like written rule, unwritten rules that if you visited a church seemed very strange to you. All that to say is that some of those traditions are just swept away by the work that Jesus is doing. He's saying some of those old things and the new things can't go together. So um, I have a few minutes left. I just want to talk to you. I'm done now at this point. I just want to chat. Um, I want to talk about some of the ways that the, the old is not compatible with the new. And I think in so doing, it might help some of us. I believe that. All right, so let's do this. Um, if you remember in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, we would learn that God was kind of localized in a singular place. If you know the story of the Old Testament, you've got Moses going up on the mountain to meet with God. Why? Because God was up on the mountain. You see Moses going into the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Why? Because God was, was in the, the tabernacle. And then we build the temple. God shows up in the temple. There's this singular location where God is. And that's the Old Testament. That's the old way of understanding how a person communes with or meets with God. But in Jesus, in Jesus, he says that I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will dwell inside of you. Right? Paul even uses language like, like you, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, so imagine this, in the old way of thinking, you had, to, you had to make a pilgrimage to a place to be with God, but guess what you have to do now if you wanna meet with God? 
you, you just have to stop talking. You know, maybe pull your car over. Maybe, maybe turn off Netflix. <gasps> what? I'm never going back to that church. How dare he say I turn off Netflix? Right? There, there's no trip to go meet with God. Hear me when I say this. He's available because he dwells inside of you. Now try to put those two together. Try to live in a, the tension of having God inside of you and then always feeling like you have to go somewhere to meet with God. Like they, you see how they, just, they don't mix? He is either inside of you, wait for it, or he's not. And if he's not, then you have to go somewhere to find him. That's not what Jesus teaches. God is inside of us now. He chose this. He thought it his good idea to dwell inside of us. So now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So now when we need to, to fast and to pray and, and make a decision, we can read our, read our Bibles, we can meditate, we can sit in quiet, and we can wait for the Spirit of God to talk to us. Yes? We don't need to load up the car and drive someplace to meet with him. You see the distinction between the two. That's one. I think of the Old Testament way of uh, dealing with sin. You guys know sin is bad. Say yes. <laughs> I didn't believe this half of the room. Yes, sin is bad. And in the Old Testament, there was a, a way to deal with sin. You would sacrifice an animal. We would say the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons and all this stuff. And you would you'd sacrifice them right, at the temple or before the priests or whatever. You'd make atonement for your sins. And you'd, you'd go, yay, I'm, I'm in right standing with God again. And who wants to be in right standing with God? We all do. Yes, I've sinned against God. I sacrificed this poor little goat, innocent thing, whatever. Now my standing with God is secured. Until what? Until you sin again. Or what we call Tuesday. Like, you're all good until Tuesday. And you're like, dang it. And so you have to take another bull and another goat to the temple or whatever, and you sacrifice that one, and you're fine till Tuesday. And it's again and again and again. It's the lather, rinse, repeat cycle. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have hair? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so you keep doing the same thing over and over again. But in Jesus, we don't have to do that. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God. This is, this is the word that John the Baptist used to Jesus when he walked by. He says, behold the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus' sacrifice on a cross, it fulfills that, that justice that has to be met for our sins. He sacrifices himself on our behalf. He's buried in a grave. He raises from the dead, overcoming sin, death, and the grave. And we believe in that. We are made new. And because of that, you and I, listen, we don't drag animals to the altar anymore. Could you imagine trying to live both of those at the same time? Could you imagine believing that God has forgiven you, but just in case, I'm going to kill my dog tonight? Too far? How about a cat? That's fine. <laughs> I think even God would say that's fine. <laughs> I got him back. Can you imagine trying to live both of those? I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I hear it like now, like you can't. Like he has forgiven you in Christ Jesus or he hasn't. 
And here's the thing. This is what religious people do. This is what the pharisaical mind says. It says that, that not only do you trust in what Jesus has done, but you also do your part too. And you got to earn it too. And this is religion and it sort of barnacles itself onto you like a poor sea turtle. And you get so many things stuck to you that you can't even, this is a weird metaphor, but you can't even swim in the ocean that is the Holy Spirit because you've got so many rules attached to you. So much guilt and shame because you actually went camping last weekend instead of coming to church. So much guilt inside of you because, I don't know, you, you missed your opportunity to, to serve or you overslept your alarm and you missed it or something and you walk around with guilt and shame and you're gonna try to earn that back. And I'm just saying, Jesus has done it for you or he hasn't. There is no in-between. Is this at all resonating with anyone? And this is what Jesus is pointing to. The ultimate reality is this, that, that some things have gone away and a new way has come. And I want you to know, I want to be people here at the church here at Renaissance, that we will be people who will, who will strive towards the new things. We want to be people who strive in trusting that our sins are forgiven, that we're walking in the grace and forgiveness of God Almighty, and that we can do all things through him. That there's no, there's no regret holding me back. There's no shame nor sorrow holding me back because God has forgiven everything that I've possibly ever done and would do against him. And he has liberated you now to go live the life that you want to live. He's liberated the li you to live the life that he's leading you into. Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? <laughs> why don't you do all the stuff that we do? You know how great it is. Jesus, I remember he rebukes the, uh, there's a story in Luke chapter 18. I didn't write this down, but I, I remembered it from this week. Uh, Luke chapter 18, he's, he tells the story of two people going before the temple um, for prayer. And one of them is a tax collector like Levi and the other one is a Pharisee. And, and the, um, the Pharisee stands next to this tax collector and just begins to, to pray out to God, God, thank you that I'm not, I'm not like him, a tax collector. Thank you that I don't extort money from people. Thank you that I'm not like a sinner like him. And he just beats his, his chest, thanking God that he's not like him. And then, and then Jesus tells us what the tax collector prays. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The, 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 the religious person leans on their self-righteousness and all the works that they do. The sinners, like maybe you and me, right? Before we were saved in Jesus, we just lean on the grace of God. And we move forward. I, I, I just. Uh. You know, the challenge, the challenge is oftentimes um, I don't know what everyone carries in to church. Sometimes some of you have real religious baggage. Yes. Yes, I, I know. I've talked to some of you and I know like, oh, I grew up Catholic. I grew up Lutheran. We love our Lutheran brothers and sisters, but there's just all kinds of religious activities sometimes attached to that. Not that some of those things are wrong, but when you're trying to earn your way into heaven or earn you know, forgiveness from God, that's wrong. Okay. So some people have that. And I think, I think this message might help some of you today. 
And some of you, I think, are new. You're like, you're so new to the faith. Like, we love you. Like, you're just a wreck, I'll be honest with you. Like, you're just new to the faith. Like, you were like, I don't know, you were like doing crazy stuff last week, and now you're not. You're like, Jesus has got a hold of you. We're celebrating with you. And you've got a whole lot of energy like a puppy, and you're running around crazy. And, and we're so happy for you. And then, and then over time, you're going to start watching the church people, and you're going to see how they act in their reverence ways. And you're going to see how they dress with their khakis and polos. Ugh, I just press threw up in my mouth a little bit. Sorry, Joey. There ain't nothing wrong with khakis and polos for some of you. You hear me? And so like your new faith in Christ and like you're trying to find your way, man, and you're, and you're getting there. And all of a sudden you just start laying things onto you of what you think a believer is supposed to look like. You start saying weird things like Father God when you pray. You ever hear anybody pray and they say, Father God, thank you, Father God. You're such a good Father God. Thank you, Father God. Father God. I'm like, that is so weird. And so all of a sudden you begin to, and it's great at the same time, but then you start patterning your life to look more like that. And I'm telling you, you're drifting away from what, the, what God has done in your life. And you're adding on more things. And, and, and then you'll go to pray one time and you didn't end in Jesus' name. Or you forgot to pray before your Taco Bell. I don't know why you wouldn't, but you forgot to pray before Taco Bell. And then you feel guilt and shame because you miss it. And all of a sudden, you're laying into yourself things that don't, don't, don't need to be there. So I pray in Jesus' name, you be liberated from the religious mindset that has maybe been attached to you for 40 or 50 years. I have no idea. And for the new people, I pray protection in Jesus' name that you not become religious. It has no benefit to you. There is no room for the old and the new. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. Is this making sense? All right, let's have a response. Let's bow our heads. Lord, look, look upon us. Look at us now, Lord. I just ask if anyone here has, they feel like you're one of those two groups, man. Like, can I leave the lights up? If you're one of those two groups, like you, you, you feel like you have religious that's like in your upbringing and you're trying to push that away, would you just raise your hand up and put it back down? Come on, come on. Yeah, let it go. Jesus, let's go. All right, how about the other group? Like you're brand new to this stuff. You're just trying to figure it out and it's awesome. And, and you don't want to get caught up in all the, the religion stuff. Amen. So we want protection, Lord. All right, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for those hands that went up. God, you're doing a cool thing. It's just what you do. And so we're so thankful for everything you've done. God, would you continue to lead your people and help us to hear the words of Jesus who says that, the, that, that we can't fast while Jesus is with us. We can't do old things. Well, well, Jesus is leading us. So God, we just ask that you take us into the newness and the direction of your life, the direction of the life rather you have for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We, we are convinced that should we follow you, that we pay attention, that we will end up exactly where you want us to be. And so God, give us eyes to see where you're headed. Give us eyes to see the, the turn left or turn right. Give us the ears to hear your spirit nudging and speaking. God, we want all these things. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask for you to lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.